T.S. Eliot is one of the poets in our tradition who arouses the most terror, if I can put it so bluntly. Students who come across The Wasteland or The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock or The Four Quartets always sense an immediate difficulty, as though Eliot were writing in some kind of foreign language or at least some sort of code that makes them have to struggle to get the faintest meaning from them. Um, this is obviously a, an overreaction, but Eliot does pose problems for readers who come to him, I think, expecting um, the kind of poetry that they've come to love from Yeats or Keats or Wordsworth or Shakespeare or other poets in the English tradition. But Eliot is not that difficult. Um, it's just a matter of getting used to what he's doing in terms of, of technique. And of course, there's a range of reference that Eliot has, most famously um, in the Wasteland, where he has pages of notes to accompany his text. Uh, this was a great scandal at the time and continues to be something of one for those who think that poetry needs to be more accessible. Today, I want to look at three of Eliot's early poems, all of them published in Poetry Magazine, which was started by Harriet Monroe in Chicago in 1912, and which now has a foundation to support it. Um, many of the poems that we've done in this series uh, are accessible on, on the poetryfoundation.org website. But three of Eliot's early poems um, were published there, and I think they give us a kind of key to how to read him. So I want to go through them quickly and point out just a, a few things about them. I think if you put these poems in the context of the novels of manners and of social situations, in the 19th, late 19th and early 20th centuries, I think you have a way into the world that Eliot is depicting here. I'm thinking of the novels of Henry James, particularly the Bostonians. I'm thinking of Edith Wharton and her novels of social New York. Um, Eliot is, is here thinking about Boston, uh, certainly the uh, center of cultural life in many ways uh, in the America of his youth, but also characterized by, by stuffiness and self-congratulations. So three quick poems. First, the Boston Evening Transcript. The readers of the Boston Evening Transcript sway in the field, sway in the wind like a field of ripe corn. When evening quickens faintly in the street, wakening the appetites of life in some, and to others bringing the Boston evening transcript, I mount the steps and ring the bell, turning wearily as one would turn to nod goodbye to Rochefoucauld. If the street were time, and he at the end of the street, and I say, Cousin Harriet, here is the Boston evening transcript. Couple of quick things to notice there. That first simile, the readers of the Boston Evening Transcript, which is an evening paper in Boston that uh, went from about 1830 to 1941, um, 
we forget the tradition of evening newspapers, but why do the readers of the Boston Evening Transcript sway in the wind like a field of ripe corn? Here I think you see Eliot's innovation along with um, his, his use of, <coughs> excuse me, of free verse. He's giving us a simile that comes out of um, a kind of symbolic imagination. Why ripe corn, for example? Why not a field of wheat, which would seem more flexible? A ripe corn feels a little overladen, doesn't it? Um, as though the readers of the Boston Evening Transcript were ready to be um, harvested in some sense. Um, they're a little overburdened by what they're carrying. Uh, sway in what wind? Surely the, the wind here is some kind of image of, of the opinions that sway the readers of the Boston Evening Transcript, um, who, <laughs> who then come across, if the more you think into this simile, as uh, overburdened by their wealth, uh, swayed by the standard opinions being voiced, and so on. Uh, so a bit of social critique and a simile that becomes almost Homeric the more you think into it. Um, evening quickens faintly in the street. Uh, life is not too much in evidence among the readers of the Boston Evening Transcript. Uh, the appetites of life in some are certainly not those to whom the Boston Evening Transcript is delivered. Um, and the speaker of the poem who mounts the steps and rings the bell anticipates a later figure of Eliot's named J. Alfred Prufrock, who also mounts steps and rings bells and so on. Um, but here you notice also a kind of innovation by Eliot in the way that uh, he turns. Notice the use of the word turning at the end of the line. This anticipates some of the line endings in the wasteland. Nothing spectacular about it, except I mount and st the steps and ring the bell, turning wearily as one would turn to nod goodbye to Rochefoucauld. Rochefoucauld was a 17th century memoirist and writer of maxims who was well known for his attendance at, at some of the salons of the day. Um, what is Rochefoucauld doing in this poem? Surely a kind of satire being implied in the way that one nods goodbye to Rochefoucauld. Um, one should not satirize here among the readers of the Boston Evening Transcript. Um, and then a kind of um, symbolic gesture uh, with its own sense of satire, if the street were time. Notice the emphasis on the street uh, in this poem and a couple of those that follow, which I'll put off to another recording. If the street were time, and he at the end of the street, and I say, Cousin Harriet, here is the Boston Evening Transcript. Um, wonderfully condensed uh, social satire, but also uh, a kind of premonition of the way that Eliot uses images and, and similes in his later poems.